Welcome back, everybody. I hope your holidays were fun. I'm kind of glad they're over myself, but I had to dedicate a lot of time to driving around to see family and not a lot of time to my podcast, but, you know, that's how it goes. First things first, I'd like to thank Courtney, Elizabeth, Melissa, Anna, Sarah, Emily, and especially Tessie. Thank you so much for your Patreon donations. I I can't say thank you enough. On this episode, I speak with two women who suffer from bulimia. I have to admit that it was a subject that I did not know that much about, and I learned as we talked. I didn't exactly know what to ask, but they were kind enough to tell their stories without much assistance from me. I could give a bunch of stats and figures about eating disorders and bulimia, things that you could take 15 seconds and Google yourself. So instead, let's just get to the stories. First up is Crystal. She says it much better than I do. Her cat made a few appearances during our interview. There was a lot of noise in her background, so please forgive the cat and all the trucks and helicopters flying around. Hello. Hello. What are you doing? Hey! <laughs> what's up? I'm just gonna, I don't know. Yeah. And pardon my English. Oh, well. I have not, I don't speak English because people don't speak English here, so I don't have much practice. Yeah. Well, so, what, uh, do you want to share your name? My yeah. name is Cristel Simon, and I'm from Teucigalpa. Honduras. Ah. Have you lived there all your life? I was born and raised here. And when I was 18, like most 18-year-olds in America do, I went to college. Mm -hmm. And I went to college in Texas. So I left all my family behind and I moved there by myself. Wow. That's Um, a big move. Yeah. It was a huge move. And it was pretty intense because... Living in this country, which is a third world country, it's really dangerous and there's a lot of crime. So I've always been pretty sheltered all my life. Like I could barely go out. It was just like unleashing a wild beast whenever I I moved to Texas. You know what I mean? How was your your childhood with your family? Was it fairly normal? Yeah, it was fairly normal, but... Like, nothing traumatic or anything like that ever happened to me. But I was always a very scared and anxious child since the beginning, since for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And anxiety runs in my family a lot. Yeah. So I guess I was kind of born that way. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> for some reason, I was always scared to be abandoned. Like, I felt like my parents... If they went to run an errand or something, I felt like they were never going to come back. They, they never left you no, at a grocery no. store or any, any incident? No, no, no. Never. Nothing like that ever happened. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know how I even came up with this in my mind as a child. I always thought, like, I'm not wanted and I'm going to be left. You never saw the TV <laughs> show Punky Brewster as a kid or anything? No. <laughs> 
No. No, but I'm glad I didn't because I might have turned out worse. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'm the oldest of three sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I was always like the sheltered one out of the three. Well, I always hear that the parents are a little bit more uh, protective of the firstborn. Yeah. And then by the second and third, they're just like, eh, you know, you can go swim with the alligators. It's cool. <laughs> it's, it's exactly. Exactly. And my dad is very, very paranoid about everything. Like, you can't go outside without him thinking, like, an asteroid's going to crash on your head or something. <laughs> he's very intense. Mm-hmm. And he's very skeptical of people he doesn't trust many people and i guess that's where i got it from because i never trusted anyone Mm -hmm. so i've always been very i guess just scared would be the word with this fear how did you go to texas i mean you left your country (laughs) okay that that, okay that that is another part of me which is striving for perfection I guess I have this drive academically where I want to learn about everything and I need to get a degree because that's how quote unquote things are supposed to be you know Mm -hmm. you have to get a degree then get a job and then have a family that's supposedly how my parents did it so that's how I'm supposed to do it so I guess even though I was scared at the time I like I have no no choice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't think there was another choice. Like either I go to a really good school and I get good grades and get a degree or I'm a failure. I dropped out of college cuz I couldn't afford it and uh I never considered myself a failure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm crazy. No, you're not. I, crazy. Seriously, I am. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're all a little crazy. So what? I'm borderline. No, I'm <laughs> what, what happened uh-huh. in Texas? Anything uh, spectacular? Yes, uh, I would say I would describe Texas. The time I lived, I lived there for eight years. Actually, mm-hmm. I went to school for four years. I got a degree, and then I went back to school to get another degree in psychology. Oh. I would describe my time in Texas as the best times of my life and the worst times of my life um that is when my anxiety peaked i got really depressed i would drink a lot not to say that i didn't drink before but <laughs> since i was living by myself i could do it more freely and just going out a lot i still got good grades though and i still went to class and i never failed a class but i don't know i just got like really I would say out of control and depressed. And that then is when my eating disorder began is when I was around 18, 19 and I was living in Texas. A little like let's rewind a little bit. No problem. Um, yeah, when I was in high school, I always considered myself like I had a very low self-esteem. I eventually, I don't know how it started, but I, I, I always thought like, well, if I, I should like better myself. So I started going to the gym a lot. I started getting like really fit and people were noticing that. So I was like, well, 
maybe I can, this can be like my new identity. You know what I mean? Like I can be like the girl who is fit and works out all the time and, and that's who I am. And then I moved to Texas and, you know, you gain like the freshman 15 or whatever. Yeah. My anxiety triggered me like overeating when I was in college and that made me gain a lot of weight. Well, not a lot of weight. I would say like for me, a lot of weight would be like eight pounds. <laughs> yeah. To me, I was like, okay, so I'm not the fit girl anymore. I feel worse than I did before. I wish I looked the same way I did when I was back in high school. And then I just couldn't control my binging. And okay, here's where it gets so difficult. Take your time. Okay, well, I remember it was my first Christmas break back home. And I remember I started binging like almost every day. And then I just thought one day, like, maybe I should just like try and throw it up and I won't feel so full anymore. And then I did, and that's when it all started, and it spiraled out of control. You did feel better once you you purged it up. Well, at the moment that I was doing it, obviously I felt sick, and it felt disgusting, and I felt disgusted with myself. But afterwards, I was like, well, I don't feel the shame of overeating anymore. I don't feel that sense of like fullness anymore i don't know i guess it was like some sort of positive reinforcement right there well you you feel guilty because you overate and then you have to not reward yourself but you have to counter that with something yeah it it was it's like okay this is how i thought of it at, at first and still think of it now it's like if you make a horrible mistake, but you can go back in time and fix it immediately. And it's a mistake that is like rewarding to you, but it's no big deal because in like 30 minutes, it's like it never happened. I mean, it sounds very appealing. Like if I could shoot heroin and in 30 minutes act like I never did it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, just feel the high and then just go back in time and it's like, it never happened. Mm -hmm. I also felt like, like this is mine and no one else knows about this and it's my secrets. So it was kind of like doing something bad and getting away with it and no one knowing about it. And it's like, I kind of figured it this way. Like I don't have to diet. I don't have to work out anymore. Like all those hours at the gym, all that work dieting, you know, like I can just purge and it's way easier and I can actually like overeat and not really think about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I went back to Texas. Nobody knew about this at this time. I went back to Texas and then at that point I got my own apartment and with a roommate. Mm-hmm. At first I was living in a dorm. So I couldn't get away with it there because I had a roommate and we lived in like this tiny little, like tiny, horrible little room. Mm -hmm. So then I moved to an apartment and then I had more freedom. So I started binging, but 
I kid you not. I have no idea how all that food can fit in into somebody. It was like something like out of control. It was, it's like a drug. How much would you typically eat? If you don't want to share, it's okay. I just no, I can't. I'm okay. just trying because it's so much. I'm trying. To... <laughs> um, okay, let's put it in into like pizza. I could eat like three or four large pizzas by myself. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. And I did feel like after I ate it all and I felt full, I'd feel like really disgusted with myself. And that obviously didn't help with my self-esteem. I felt like I felt like I pitied myself, you know. And that's one of the most horrible feelings you can have is to pity yourself. But then again, once I purged, then I would just move on with my day and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never happened. And no one ever knew about it. Would you anticipate mm -hmm. doing this or would stress or something trigger you to do this more? Was there anything that definitely stress would trigger me to do it more often during the day. Mm -hmm. So if it was a particularly stressful day and I didn't have much to do, like I didn't have class, let's say like a Saturday I would probably do it maybe like 15 times a day. If I did have stuff to do it, it could go down to like five times. Mm-hmm. But usually it's between like five and 15. Would you and, Would you be yeah. binging like five to 15 times or would you like, would you eat five pizzas every time or would you just? No, no, it would be like, it could be like a large binge or it can be a small binge. Mm-hmm. A large, like, five pizzas are, like, the largest ever, you know? Mm -hmm. But it could be also, like, a small, like, a regular, like, sit-down meal. You just eat, like, regular, and I would purge that. So that would be one. And then that would be breakfast. And then at lunch, I would eat, like, a regular lunch and then purge that. And then maybe at dinner, I'd be super stressed and, I don't know, just want to get my mind off of something. And then I'd have, like, a larger binge. So it all depends on the day. It all depends on what I had to do. And it all depended on who I was. I don't know, like the people around me. Like this disease has isolated me from people where people just, the people I would hang out with just annoyed me. I would be very outgoing with my friends all the time. And then eventually they figured out that I was, like, pulling away. And I just didn't want to go out as much. Um, I just, like, went to class and, like, went straight back home. I didn't want to, like, hang out with my friends at, at on campus. But nobody nobody knew what was going on. Were you just annoyed with them? Or did you actually think that they might find, no. find out what you were No, I, it's not that I was annoyed at them at, as people. I was just... I don't know how to explain it. This disease is like, it like ruins you from the inside out. Seriously. It makes you angry and angry at people that have done nothing wrong. So like normal things that I would go through with my friends before, like let's say they keep texting me or calling me, uh, asking me about some project or homework that would in the beginning, it wouldn't mean much, and it would be like, yeah, they want help. But then when I got this disease, when I fell for this, 
all those things just were just so annoying to me. I wouldn't answer people's phone calls. I wouldn't even like answer the door when people would come over. I would just hide and pretend I wasn't there. <laughs> I still do that though. <laughs> I was like, Don't, doesn't everyone do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I wasn't that kind of that. I wasn't that way before, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I went out, I would get like shit faced. That's the only way you would get me to go out is if you would tell me we'd go out drinking. So, which is, un- if you like put them side by side, they're both like an escape from reality. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, they're both like some sort of, you get some sort of high out of it. Drinking, yeah. I get numb, I don't feel anything, I get super drunk. And with the eating, I, I don't know, I just dive into my own world and nothing else exists except me and whatever I'm eating. I can't binge and just, I can't just do that. Like I have to be doing something else because not only is that an escape from reality, but I cannot, I cannot see myself or feel myself doing it. So I have to be like either watching a show or, you know, I need to be doing something else while I'm binging so that I don't focus on me binging because it's so shameful and pitiful and it just disgusts me honestly i feel disgusting with myself i i I see tendencies in my own self right now it's like whenever i eat i always want to be watching tv or doing something else while i'm eating and and i overeat a lot but not you know i don't i don't know if i'm binging i just don't think about it when i'm eating and i don't consciously decide a lot of people binge like a lot of there's a lot of like weight issues because of people binging people don't really know like the limit between like a normal meal and binging sometimes i don't know but i can tell you that i was binging for sure yeah and i had yeah i had to be like doing something or listening to a podcast (laughs) (laughs) great (laughs) i feel like i'm contributing now (laughs) horrible yeah. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. you're in Texas when this started and you yeah. you continue doing it. You're you're in a an apartment now, you have the privacy of your own bathroom. Yeah. And it just escalates from there. Obviously you moved back home. Did it that slow it down, make it worse? No. Okay, so here's the part where my family found out. <laughs> I came back to Honduras when like it this was during the summer i kept doing what i was doing back in texas and i found like different ways it's so weird to, to say it out loud because i and i've never really talked much about like the secrecy and like it's horrible to say but like techniques i use to like hide like go to go to the bathroom every time and i know my family knew something was up because like I said before, I used to be, I used to eat healthy, go to the gym, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, she's still like skinny, but she's eating like a whole lot of food and all kinds of food, and she doesn't go to the gym anymore. So <laughs> something was up, you know? And then we have, like in Honduras, it's very common for people to have maids. 
So the maid would clean my bathroom, and I think she caught on to what was going on because I, eventually I wasn't being careful enough. And she then told my mom that she thought that I was puking. And my mom freaked out. Then she asked me, like, honestly, I can't really remember the time when we talked about it, you know? I think I blocked that out of my mind because I guess I was so, I was and am so ashamed of it. But I remember them telling me that I needed to get help. And my main fear at this point was that they, because my parents were paying for my college, my main fear was that they would say that there weren't, they weren't going to pay for my college anymore. And that I had to come back to Honduras. That was like my biggest fear. And I was like, no, I, I told them, I swear I'm going to get help. Um, I just want to go back to Texas. I want to fix this. I don't want to stay here. If I stay here, it's going to get worse. So it's kind of like manipulating. Mm-hmm. I became very manipulative and I became a liar. I don't know. It was just a whole bunch of secrecy around the whole thing. And my parents were like, okay, fine. You can go back and but you need to go get help and you need to go see a therapist and we need to be in touch with the therapist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I went back to Texas and I did, I kept doing what I was doing. Like, yeah, like eventually it's going to just go away, right? Yeah. No change. No, no. I didn't do anything. I didn't see anybody. I just enrolled in classes, went to class and did what I did and was drinking even more than before. And then this one morning, I remember this well, I got an email from the dean of my university that my parents had somehow contacted him and told him what was going on. And he pretty much said that the the university was not going to stand for that. I'm not sure he was lying to me, but he said that they would kick me out of the university if I did not go to therapy. So I had to go see a therapist and the therapist had to be in contact with my advisor and the advisor had to be in contact with the dean. So they made sure that that I was, you know, getting help because my parents were so worried. And since they're paying the bill, so the dean is doing whatever they, they're telling him to do. And I remember I was so angry. I was like, what the hell? Now everyone's going to know. Like, who Dean knows? And what the hell? Like, you know, I felt like kind of like my secret was out. You started seeing a therapist at this point. Yeah. I was forced into it. I had a therapist and I had a psychiatrist. And as a therapist, I would see like once or twice a week. And then the psychiatrist, I saw her like once every two weeks and she just gave me pills. So then is when I started taking antidepressants. And I have not stopped since. Well, I've been like on and off, but I'm still taking the same thing. What do, you, do you mind saying what you're taking? I'm taking Prozac. Okay. And I remember the first time I went to the psychiatrist, she started asking me a bunch of questions and how I felt. And I was like, oh, I think this is going well. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like... I thought I was gonna start crying and get all sad and stuff, but I actually I really liked the psychiatrist and and I had a good talk with her. 
And then at, at the end of the, um, the sessions, she's like, okay, well, here's your prescription. You can go get it at the pharmacy. And I had the, the whole, like, you know, student health insurance or whatever. So I only had to pay, like, $3 for it. She handed me the prescription, and I'm like, what is this? She's like, oh, it's called Prozac, and it helps people for, you know, it's it's a... Is it, it's an SSRI, and she started, like, getting all, like, technical about it. And I'm like, well, what's it for? And she's like, well, it's an antidepressant. And I'm like, I'm not depressed. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, I'm not depressed. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, no, I don't want this. And then she's like, no, like, you need to follow through with, with the therapy. It's not only, like, talk therapy. You also need to be medicated. And I was just like in shock. I was like, oh my God, I need to take into that presence. I remember walking out of the clinic and I started like crying like in front of everyone in the quad. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I need to take into that presence. Like to me, that was like something, like I guess like sick, only sick people take that. And at that point, I knew that, I, that something was wrong. Obviously I was sick, this was not normal what I had, but it was hard to hear someone say you're depressed and you need to take medication. It was like reality hit right there. Okay, so this is another part of the story. Around this time is when I started dating um, this guy, which made everything so much worse. Um, we did it for two years and it was the most horrible, the most abusive relationship I think I, you could ever imagine. Just think of the worst and that's, that's what happened. People would have, I, I, I wouldn't say it's surprising because I had a horrible self-esteem and you get the quote unquote love you think you deserve. So that's what I got. But he knew about everything. He knew I told him. What was what was his was, what was his response? He didn't get like most, I guess, men in my life. They don't understand it. They're just like, why don't you just like not throw up? You know, like just don't purge, just don't eat that much. And I'm like, I try to explain to people it's not about food, and it's not about at this point. It wasn't much about losing weight or my body image. And at that point, I did not think I was fat. I did not think I needed to lose weight, and I still don't. I look at myself, and I think I'm skinny. And I I have no interest in changing my body at all. I do it because it's, it's like a drug. You know, it's not really about the food. It's about the relief of all that stress. And you come to see it as just your way of being, like that's your normal. So I can't see myself not doing it. Like, what am I, I'm like, what am I gonna do if I don't do that? You know what I mean? Like that's, it kind of like took over my personality and my identity to where I, without it, there's not much left. I mean, with, as far as, you know, your boyfriend or boyfriends go, everybody and, and most people even listening right now, they're going to just think, just stop, you know, just stop doing it. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's like a, it's like a drug addict. Yeah. So I, I, 
I can I can relate so much to drug addicts or alcoholics mm -hmm. because it is it is a drug. I can't just stop it. It's like wired in my brain, and and it's not like I haven't. Okay, this is I'm still like way back. So that's when I was just starting my whole therapy process, and I was seeing this horrible, disgusting guy that treated me like shit, and he was basically like, "What? Just stop doing it, you know? Like, you're." pretty the way you are you don't need to stop doing it like you have a great body why do you do that and I'm like yeah you're stupid that doesn't make sense you're just re like yeah I have a good body because I do this you know what I mean like that's what my brain told me mm -hmm. this is why you're saying this it's because I do this if I didn't do this then I I don't know I I did I wouldn't look the same so you would start the, the slippery slope of whatever yeah I'm like seriously like you're dumb <laughs> he had a lot of um, issues with he was actually diagnosed with uh, narcissistic personality disorder he was such a he, it was horrible like you know those like most serial killers are di diagnosed with narcissism well he could have easily been one of them seriously like I've been around the world and he he wouldn't boast about like stupid immature shit like that and how long were you with him for uh two years so a year and 364 days too long <laughs> yeah <laughs> whenever we were in like in a drunken fight or anything or something like that because we would drink a lot and that was obviously not healthy no. <laughs> at all especially if you're a psycho um <laughs> so he he would tell me that i was disgusting because i was bulimic and he'd say you bitch go throw up or whatever you're disgusting and and now oh my god i wasn't even angry i was just like just in shock And obviously that made me feel worse. He just like brought me so down that I, that's why I actually like, I went back to him because my self-esteem was so, it was non-existent. So I was like, nobody else is gonna want me because I'm a failure. I have this disease. I don't have any hobbies. I don't have anything interesting going for me. So. I might as well like go back to what I feel is comfortable. I don't regret it. No. Because I learned a lot about what I don't want and the signs I sh I, I know how to like pick signs now. Like red flags, I can immediately detect them. Mm -hmm. You have a douchebag detector now. <laughs> yes. It goes off all day. <laughs> But no, uh, and I, I really like I, I really don't hate him. I honestly, now that I look back, I really feel sorry for him. I feel really bad that he had all these issues, and I feel really bad for his family because nobody could deal with him. Even his mom would tell me that that she was just she didn't she wanted him out of her life. I still think about it. It still fucks me up. 
yeah. to this day. I just feel like bad for myself. Like I shouldn't have let someone do that to me. No. So. So what happened after you guys broke up, and how how did you respond to that? Okay, I responded to that by diving into alcoholism a lot more. I don't don't ask me how I I passed all my classes, but <laughs> but I would drink all the time. I would just go out with my friends. I did not have a very good influences like my friends. They were party girls as I was, I guess. They they didn't tell ever tell me to stop. They were like, oh, you want to go? Okay. Yeah, they they're always down to go out and drink. Yeah, and yeah. I was always the one to be down. Yeah, I still am. <laughs> when I was at work today, a friend called me and she's like, "Let's go out." Whenever I go out now, I just like go sit at a bar and have like two beers. You know, like I don't like go crazy like I did before. But my friend's like, "Let's go out," and I'm like, "No, I have to like do this podcast thing." And she's like, "Oh my god." It must mean a lot to you because you never say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I can't today. We can do it tomorrow. <laughs> and eventually, I did graduate on time. Mm-hmm. And everything, like the whole binging and purging just continued. It was just like the same thing. No change. It even got worse. I had to apply for a work visa because I was a foreign student. I am not an American citizen. So I had a few months to apply for the visa, but I was too busy like partying after graduation that I didn't even know that I had a deadline for that. You know, like I thought the deadline was like way later. So my de- my time was up and I went to try to get my papers and they told me that my time was up and I had to go back. Either I had to enroll in a master's degree or I had to get the fuck out of the country. You were now illegal. (laughs) I was now illegal. (laughs) My friends would bother me all the time. They would like come knocking on my door like in the middle of the night. It's like, immigration! (laughs) (laughs) That's what friends are for, right? Hell no. But yeah. Well, they didn't tell me, like, oh, you have to, like, leave now. You're illegal. But they weren't, like, mean like that. They're like, oh, you paid, like, four years from a really, like, really expensive tuition. You're not just going to kick me out, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, if I want to, like, come back to the States and study, they're going to ask me a bunch of questions, like, why did I overstay and stuff like that. So I'm like, I need to go back. I got a plane ticket and I came back home. I had, I was done with school. I was living back at my parents' house. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. All I had was my illness. Both of my illnesses, because I was like an alcoholic slash (laughs) bulimic or whatever. That's the point where I lost a lot of weight. Like, I was already skinny, but I lost 20 more pounds. Like, I looked really sick. I looked old, and I looked... I don't know, I just looked like a skeleton, like really, really skinny. And my parents were very concerned. We would get into fights all the time. I was angry all the time. I was hungry all the time. (laughs) 
I was back home. I got a new therapist. I got a new psychiatrist. I started new medications, new treatments, and they would give me really bad side effects to where I had to be changing medications every week because it, I, it just, my body couldn't handle it. I would get shakes. I would get, I have horrible night terrors all the time. So I was having nightmares every single night. My old, my binging and purging wasn't ceasing. It was just, it continued the same. I don't know. I just eventually went back on Prozac because it was the, the medication that helped me the best. Honestly, it, it has helped me, but I can tell you that like talk therapy helps way more than any medication. So, and I, I've been like bouncing from therapist to therapist ever since. This was in like 2012, 2013. You, you say Prozac helps, but does it really help or does it just help with the depression, but not really the, the bulimia? It, help, it helps a little bit with the depression and with the bulimia, it doesn't really help that much. The only thing that it helps with it is it decreases my appetite so you take the hunger out of that and the drive isn't that strong mm -hmm. i'm not that angry anymore i'm kind of like flat now <laughs> I, I know that that's prozac and a, and a lot of happy pills out there will will flatten people out their emotions out and some people yeah don't like that because they feel like they're a zombie and they can't even be happy when good things happen and you know you don't get yeah sad and stuff, so. that's exactly how i feel like i feel like nothing surprises me at all mm -hmm. and nothing really entertains me is it hard to find therapists and stuff in your country yes it is because there's like a huge brain drain here <laughs> to where a lot of people that are, I guess, professionals. And I guess in that department, they'd rather live somewhere else. Because they could afford to. They can go other Yeah. So the ones I have found that I have now are not the best, but they're like the best out of the bunch. <laughs> I've run into some therapists that are kind of like religious, like religion is like a really big thing here, you know, I bet. in Latin America. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I've found some that are a pretty good, but I actually stopped going to my current therapist because she wanted me to go to a homeotherapist or something like that. It's, or homeopathic, I started yeah. Homeo something. Homeopathic. <laughs> homeopathic, psychopathic. I don't yeah. know. I'm like, okay, I need to research this before I, I like dive into this. So I researched it, and I'm like, this is like witchcraft or something. I don't know. And I'm like, this sounds like miracle water or something like that. This is weird. Yeah. I'm not exactly. buying into this. So then she kept like the therapist kept texting me like, Oh, when's, when's our next appointment? Blah, blah, blah. And I just like stopped texting her back. I'm like, no, nah, I'm done with you. Did, was she, <laughs> I mean, I guess I would say if, if she was telling you something like having a great discussion, maybe you should go back. But if you didn't agree with the therapy that she was trying to administer, then I, I agree with that. Mm, no. There was a lot of like 
other things that I didn't like about the therapy. But this was just like, okay, I'm done. I am going to my psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. He does like, he prescribes my medication and he checks up on me every Mm -hmm. couple of weeks. But my therapist, on the other hand, I don't have one as of now. Do you talk to your psychiatrist though? Um, not like this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I'm your counselor. (laughs) I don't even talk to my, I don't even talk to my therapist like this. Uh, (laughs) And she gets paid (laughs) for it. Oh. You should start charging. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you haven't stopped. Nope. Is it still? No, unfortunately, I have not. And uh, something else that I wanted to to talk about. Eating disorders are the deadliest uh, form of mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. I know that. I have known that since I started. I, whenever I get involved and I want to learn from something, I research it like it, like from the inside out, you know what I mean? Very analytical I'm, and investigative. I'm very, very analytical and investigative. Yeah, I have my own investigations and I don't stop ever. So I'm still, I'm still to this day researching about mental, like uh, eating disorders. And they are the deadliest form of mental illness out there. I think anorexia is the first one. And then it's bulimia. Because... The whole, obviously, it's not natural, the whole binging and purging. It strains your body, and you also are depleted of nutrients and electrolytes, which can cause uh, heart failure. Uh, You feel like shit all the time, because it's like if you haven't eaten all day, you know what I mean? I do keep food in, you know? like It's not like I just, like, purge everything, you know? I do eat, I do have, like, my snacks. I'm very selective about what I keep in my stomach, you know. I, I It has to be something very healthy and something that's not going to trigger my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Eat something that makes me feel too full, then I, I get really anxious and I just have to purge it. Like, it's like having some, like having like a, a tumor or something, like something is n- that's not supposed to be there is in there. Yeah. It is very weird. I know it sounds crazy. No. It is not normal physical reaction to being full. Mm-hmm. I just want to get rid of it, get rid of it now, 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 now. That's how I feel. And it's something that I do want to overcome. I do believe that I can. I just feel like... I don't want to right now. I'm in a in a place where I'm a functioning adult. I have a good job. I have a career. I guess I'm not trying to justify me having an eating disorder at all, but I guess it's what I have to cope right now. What helps me cope with all of life's stresses right now. And I figure that people like you're not gonna change unless you really want to change. And all these years through therapy, yes, I have gotten a lot better. My self-esteem is way, like it's amazing compared to how I was before, a few years back. I do feel like I have a lot more confidence in myself now that I have my job 
I'm, I feel like I'm a profession, professional person. And I also feel like I'm intelligent and somewhat, and I am somewhat funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Very much. <laughs> I do. So I feel like I have a lot to offer and I, I, therapy has helped with that. But with the whole binging and purging situation, that's only going to change whenever I'm ready. And I, I will be able to do it. I will. But it is so hard to quit a drug that you cannot live without. Let's say you're an alcoholic. Just, yeah, you can get help and... And you can avoid drinking. Just don't be near. It's not just that. That's cures people of alcoholism, not being around alcohol. But it helps to just like quit and not don't go to bars, you know, like don't have people drinking around you. But food is something that you will always need. So how do I quit something that I need and everyone needs as human beings? I need to learn how to eat again like a normal person and and to know when I feel full and to deal with my anxiety in a, a different way, find some other outlet, which I have tried. I've tried many different outlets. I like to draw and paint and stuff like that. I, I also like to work out and I tried so many different things, but it has never been something that has replaced that part of my life. I always just, I fit that in somehow. I work like 12 hours a day Obviously, I don't binge and purge like that many times, maybe just once a day or something. But that's only because of time and the time I spent working. So I'm trying to cut back on it and finding other ways to deal with it just by keeping myself busy and finding hobbies and other stuff to do other than, I guess, just like sitting and thinking about my anxiety. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's when you're with your own thoughts and all you're thinking about is eating or your anxiety or how you're feeling. That's going to make you do it more. Yeah. And and it's and I always felt like I have like this it's like another personality or something. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> One second. <laughs> my cat. <laughs> I've always want. I've always been someone that just sits back and just doesn't really participate much because I feel like I'm not qualified sometimes, or I feel like I don't want to make a fool out of myself, or I don't want people to misunderstand me. So me doing this is really out of character, especially because. I'd rather stay in, like, in the background. <laughs> I don't like attention. I'm doing this because I believe it's going to help me, but mainly it's because I think it's going to help someone, like other people. I hope. I know that this eating disorder, all this is, is going to get better. It's just this dark, darkness part of society that just grabs hold of some people. But it doesn't mean that your whole life has to be this way. And I know that it's very dangerous to keep going with, with this. So that's mainly the reason why I want to stop. It's for my health and for my family. 
and I just want I just want to help someone. I just want other people to know that they're not alone because I felt very alone in, in my disease and very isolated. And I felt like I was the only one out there suffering from this crazy illness. Like I'm, but there are a lot of people like this. Anyone that's has an addiction you're you're on the same plane it's not abnormal yeah i guess these mental illnesses i i always say it's uh it's more of a flaw in chemistry and not a flaw in character i like that so it does not define who i am at all i am not what i suffer from i wish i had a better ending to where i could tell I could tell you that I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm not gonna lie. It's it's better not to lie. It's yeah. I don't want you to, because it's hard. People got to know how hard it is, and yeah. And, and I don't want anyone to feel like a failure if they've tried and failed. It, yeah, I have done it so many times. Tried and failed. Try and fail. Try and fail. But I, it has gotten a lot better, and I will continue trying. Yeah, well, Chris, you. You did an amazing job today, and, and I'll let you in on a little secret. I've yes, already, tell me. I've already spoken to another girl who suffers from bulimia, and I'm going to put really? your two stories together on the episode. Yes. Okay. Oh, I was just thinking of that. I was like, I don't want to like be the only one talking. Like, I wish there was someone else with an eating disorder that reached out to you. You're not, you're not so alone. What's well, uh, good. Yeah. But, uh, well, thank you so much. No I'm so thankful mm-hmm. that you listen to me. Oh. I've always felt like uh, my opinion is not really worth it. And I feel like I am uh, validated. Your opinion is more valuable than you'll ever know. Next up is Lauren, and she happens to live in my home state. I've been thinking about this all day. I've never talked to a celebrity before, so I'm super nervous. (laughs) I am not a celebrity. I swear (laughs) to God. (laughs) I'm just have you introduce yourself and whatever you want to say about yourself, and then we can can go from there. Is that cool? Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. All right. (laughs) My name is Lauren and I live in Missouri. I guess a good background to my story is you got to kind of set up the stage with these sort of mental illness doesn't come in a neat gifted gift wrap basket. It's usually a whole bunch of random things thrown in there all become one. Like you don't just have depression, you have anxiety usually attached to it. And that's kind of how I led up to getting to the point where I had an eating disorder was just tons of little things that piled on top. My parents are divorced. I grew up with my mom and my stepdad and my half-sister. And every other weekend, I would go and spend it with my dad. I guess my dad was really into crazy chicks because both my mom and my stepmom are bipolar, which doesn't mean anybody's crazy. But when they're unmedicated, things get really out of hand. My mom has a very old-fashioned sense of looking at mental illness that it's not real and you can just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. So she was 
she didn't believe that she was bipolar, even though she had been diagnosed. And she had this saying that she would always say growing up that you can either be a victim or you can be a survivor. So if you had depression and had to be on medication, you were just a victim and weak and not really worth anyone's time. See, I I like her saying, but the survivor part is where you get help, get support, get better, not just decide one day that, oh, I'm not going to be... Yeah, so (laughs) I would interpret that whole saying a whole different way. Yeah, well, as a kid, and I had a lot of, um, I was very self-conscious and anxious, and I didn't, I wasn't very outgoing, just kind of leaned back, and I had been sexually assaulted by a family member when I was a toddler, and I think this is really what started the ball rolling was no charges were ever filed but when I was starting to be taken to therapy for it I knew that it was kind of weird because normal kids don't really go to a therapist and he was asking me weird questions and so one day I had asked my mom like why why am I going to this therapist why is he asking me these things because I really didn't understand the extent of just how bad that encounter had been She told me, well, it's because you don't smile enough. So it was automatically my fault. There was something wrong with me because I had been sexually assaulted. That hurt me because I felt like I wasn't being a good kid for my mom. All I wanted to do was make her happy. Well, unfortunately, it got a little bit worse because this person had HIV And so we had to make sure that I didn't contract it. And so I was going to doctors and getting blood tests. And it's very scary when you're a kid. And luckily, I didn't end up catching anything. Mm -hmm. That incident blew over. But when I got a little older and I understood what had happened, I was terrified. (laughs) The encounter really made me just so self-aware of everything and everyone. Did you Uh, ever have to be around that person? Oh yeah. Uh, everything's fine now. Like, cause he was a teenager. So I forgive him. What he did was terrible, but he's had a hard life too. And it's, it's just something that it's easier to move past. You're super aware of yourself. You're super aware of (laughs) others. You're in this, different mindset, right? Right. So my mom being extremely controlling, you never know how she's going to act. She can flip a switch. She can come home from work perfectly happy one moment, one day. And then the next day she's just, she wants to destroy everything in her path. And she really had the cojones in the house. My stepdad would just roll over and let her do whatever. He just went with the motions because she could be very terrifying. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I hit puberty and got older, we had the classic mother daughter fighting, you know, just normal. She found religion through the Baptist church and she was what I would call a convenient Christian to where if it went with what she wanted it was God's law, but if it was something that she didn't like, that 
would take away from her lifestyle. It was more of like a suggestion or a guideline. Mm -hmm. So Harry Potter was completely forbidden, but Lord of the Rings was fine. I still don't understand that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She said Tolkien was a Christian writer. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, there's Um, ogres and demons and trolls and... Wizards, yeah. She literally grounded me for a week one time because there was a target ad in my room around Christmas that was selling a Harry Potter DVD in it. She was, she was nuts. She was off her rocker. So you didn't even have the DVD. You had it. No, I would watch it at my dad's. You had a coupon. (laughs) You had a coupon for a DVD and you got grounded. Okay. Right. It wasn't even open to that page or anything. It was just featured in the ad. There was a lot of uh, tension and just, a lot of anger in the house and we had moved out to the middle of nowhere. We were an hour and a half away from town. So I never really got to have friends over because nobody wants to really drive to pick up their kids like that. I became really isolated. My mom just slowly started to get worse. She would tell me things like, um, I hate coming home because I know you're there. Oh, everybody walks on eggshells around you. Why can't you be normal? And I was I was kind of a nerdy kid. Like I was really into anime and Dragon Ball Z and video games. I wasn't out like smoking weed or hooking up with guys. I was sitting writing Goku fan fiction where we just went and battled and looked for Dragon Balls mm-hmm. like up in my room. And to her it was just the weirdest thing. Like whenever I would go over to my dad's every other weekend, she would just ransack my room and just look for things to get me in trouble. In that, only, I'm sure that at that point you don't even want to go see your dad because you know, you're going to come home to a wreck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I would write the only way I could get my feelings out because I would just sit in my room and cry. So sometimes I would write in a diary of just how I felt, or sometimes I would just write a story and, my mom, even if there was a lock on my diary, she would take bolt cutters and cut the lock and act like she picked me up from my dad's, act like everything was completely normal. But the moment I got up to my room and saw that my diary had been read, she would just flip out and start screaming and telling me I was this horrible child. Oh, and <laughs> even you remember those like, well, you might not, but those stupid 90s. Uh, electronic diaries they're like they only open to the sound of your voice yeah I do. it didn't matter what power tool she needed to get in there she was getting in there <laughs> I, I thought my childhood was rough okay <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so it, that tension builds up and you just feel like you have nowhere to go like you talk to your friends and they can only do so much because I only got so much time to talk on the phone, and this was really before internet was really that big of a thing. And we just called her the gatekeeper because we all just assumed she was the gatekeeper to hell. Yeah. <laughs> so all that started, and I was a big girl at the time, and my family did, did not eat healthy. Basically, if it didn't come from a farm animal or a starch, we didn't eat it. Like meat, we meat, ate meat and potatoes, all meat, potatoes and corn. Yeah. yeah. On top of that, everybody got two gallons of milk a week. So we were buying eight gallons of milk a week. And when my sister finally got to the age where she was drinking her two gallons of milk a week, we had to go buy a fridge 
for the garage to store all of our milk. <laughs> Normally people have a beer fridge, but yeah, you had a milk right. fridge. We had milk and like half a cow in that fridge constantly. I got big. I was a big girl. I was incredibly strong, <laughs> but I wasn't tiny like some of the other girls. And I never realized that I was fat or that there was something wrong with me because I just thought that this was my body. This is just how it was. Mm -hmm. One day in middle school, when we were changing back into our normal clothes from gym, I had a locker that was right by the corner where the girls come in. And uh, I would always try to get changed real quick. I didn't really want anybody to see me. I was self-conscious, and especially about my thighs, because we just genetically have bigger thighs in my family. And this girl came in, and she was one of the popular girls. And right as I was pulling my jeans up, she looked at me, and she said, Ew, look at that. That's disgusting. Put some pants on. Mm. Her, you know, her little entourage all laughed, and they walked away. And they, I guess they probably never thought anything of it again. But that was that moment where I was like, Oh, my God, I'm fat. And I felt shame. Yeah. I mean, you just were literally fat shamed right there on the spot. And yeah. yeah, I don't remember the rest of the day, but I just remember at that point, I was just if I had been self-conscious before, it was a thousand times worse. Now, I I wanted to wear baggier clothes. It didn't matter if it was 100 degrees outside. I was in jeans. I would never wear shorts. And I think began to become more reclusive at home because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to feel beautiful, but I felt like now that somebody had told me that I wasn't, I was just worthless. And I had tried talking to my mom about it, telling her, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to be healthier. And she just wouldn't have any of it. She could, well, you eat what we cook. When I lived with my mother growing up, we, we moved in with my grandparents because we were in between houses and uh, my grandparents would say, you, you eat what we cook. And it was 1920s depression kind of food. It was so mm. bad and it, flavorless and gross. And that, that's what I had to eat for the entire summer or years we lived there. It was terrible. And right. I'm sure it was totally unhealthy too, but I never <laughs> thought about that when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, you don't understand that. Like, calories or anything you think okay junk food is bad it'll make me fat but healthy food will make me lose weight you don't get that that 500 calorie hamburger is what's doing it mm -hmm. so this this went on for a while I, I slowly just started to sink into this depression and sadness and I was over at my dad's one weekend and my dad wanted to be my friend he didn't want to be a parent so he let me do whatever I wanted. And I remember watching this adult TV show where this girl was going on a date with some guy and she wanted to lose weight. And her friend's like, oh, well, why don't you just be bulimic? And it was basically like an idiot's guide to bulimia. You showed everything. And so I was like, well, that's cool. You get to eat whatever you want as much as you want. And you just got to throw it up. And you were already there because you were already used to pretty much binge eating from just yeah. at home. And now you don't have to deal with the consequences of the, the binge eating. Right. 
So I tried it. Um, I figured that because usually after dinner I would go up and take a shower and get ready to settle down into bed that the sound of the shower and the fan would cover up the sound of purging. The first time was really scary because, you know, when you're sick and you're about to throw up, it's that feeling of I can't breathe and I'm, I'm going to die. And It's the worst so that, feeling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really scary. But once I had gotten it all out, I felt like I had, I felt this relief. Like I had just gotten all the things I've been holding, all the emotions inside of my chest were out and I could just flush them down the toilet. So you were purging more than just the food. Yeah, I was purging, you know, my hate for my mother and my family. And um, it didn't take too long for my mom to notice that I was losing weight. Because the second, I was losing about a pound every other day. The second that scale starts dropping and you start feeling that, oh my gosh, this is working, you're addicted. Mm -hmm. This is great. I'm going to be skinny in no time. And everything's going to work out. Well, this is sort of towards the beginning of the summer. My mom noticed that, hey, I was losing all this weight and food would go missing in the house. Because you want to eat as much as possible. So when you do purge, it just mostly all comes out at once because you're so full. And that's a lot of food. So she... Huh? Uh, were you hungrier? Like, were, were you more hungry when you were doing this or any change? No. Okay. It was really weird. After I purged, I wouldn't be hungry for the rest of the night. But uh, my mom, being the expert snoop that she was, listened to me from the bathroom door and heard me purging and waited till I came out and asked, you know, are you making yourself throw up? And I explained to her that, Yes, I was. And it was because I I told her about the incident. I told her I was upset and I didn't know what to do. And instead of getting met with, we'll get you help or we'll talk about putting you on a diet plan, please stop. It was just pure anger of how could you do this to me? You know, what's wrong with you? For, for your mom being a survivor, she sure knows how to be a victim very well. You know, that's <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Right. It, but whenever I talked to her about any of my anxiety or depression, it was always met with anger. Like, you have nothing to be depressed about. Go outside and chop wood. Like, I'm a 13-year-old girl. I don't want to go outside and chop wood. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. That was just her. Her remedy for everything is two chores, like indentured servitude. <laughs> <laughs> I promised her that I I would stop and... I didn't. I just tried my best to hide it more. And so she would invade my privacy step by step by step. She would monitor how much food I ate. Um, she would sit in the bathroom while I took a shower. She would literally just sit on the toilet, like not go into the bathroom, but just sit there while I was in the shower the whole time to make sure I wasn't throwing up in the shower. So this and, is putting way more pressure on you, making you way more aware and anxious yeah yeah I was such a private person that I was like I can't even get to be alone like she was monitoring my bathroom times and if I flushed the toilet once or it was just like I was constantly under even more surveillance than 
she already had me under. And it really, it got to me and I, I began to uh, start cutting myself. If I couldn't get it out through purging or writing like the healthy way I wanted to, I just got it out that way. She noticed that. So I had to eat with no knives on the table, which we ate a lot of steak. So I got a butter knife while everybody else got a steak knife. Like I was just going to slit my wrist right there at the table. She's not quite understanding how this goes, but she's trying. (laughs) Right. And it was more of a shame thing because like she would set the table and set everybody's place. And then my butter knife would be the last thing that would go down and she would just stare at me. It was a cry for help. Like all of this was, I need help. And eventually I think I started to use, um, you know, those black plastic cheap combs you get. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I started to use those to cut myself and blunt objects left a lot of scarring. And that's when she realized, okay, well maybe you need to see a doctor. So she began to bounce me back from therapist to therapist. It was basically whoever agreed with her views. Because most of them were like, your mom is crazy. (laughs) Your mom might be part of the reason why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like she would randomly allow me to listen to specific music or a good one was she'd let me watch Sailor Moon. And then for... A month later, she would say, no, Sailor Moon's the devil. And she would take it all away as soon as I got into it mm. because it was about planets and a, or Power Rangers because there were aliens in it. And it's against the Bible. <laughs> so when the therapists are like, no, these things are fine. She she's not too. She understands it's all fake. She'd bounce me to a different one. And I'd have to start the process of getting comfortable mm. with this person to trust them all over again. And at this point. I was at rock bottom. Um, I was still binging and purging and cutting myself, but I was doing it into a trash can in a Walmart bag in my room Mm -hmm. and hiding it in the middle of the night. I would go out and get rid of it. And she would sleep through this. You could, you could do this without being caught. Right. And it was shame. I mean, when you're going to bed at night and you have this, these things hidden under your bed, like, you're not proud of it. It's disgusting. I was so scared she would find it because she told me how disgusting she thought I was all the time. I was like, could you imagine if she found bags of vomit under my bed, what she would do to me? She, at that point, had no trust in me and had taken away my door. She took the door off the hinges and set it right outside my room. And I was a a sexual assault victim like I she just expected me to hide in the corner and change because I lived with my stepdad she told me well you can go to the bathroom and change well I couldn't go to the bathroom because if I was in there for too long she'd start pounding on the door you're stuck you're you're a prisoner yeah yeah if there was anybody I ever really wanted to make proud it was my mom and I just kept failing and she would always tell me you know Uh, I have no trust in you. You crap all over me. Like she had those catchphrases she would always say. And she'd just stand there and belittle you and scream at you. And if you ever said anything back, even if it was to prove her wrong, it just made her more angry. Yeah, you just have to sit there and take it. 
you can't and even, I would you can't even agree with her because that would probably piss her off more too mm-hmm if you just stood there and there were a couple times where the pressure became so much and I would stop breathing I'd pass out she would pull me up off the floor and she, what kind of drugs are you on what's wrong with you and it, no I had locked my knees the entire time you were screaming at me and ended up making myself pass out that's a very real thing. I, I was in the military and we would have to stand at attention for hours in front of a drill sergeant and people would fall. <laughs> it would, they called it falling out because you'd just pass out and you'd fall down. And, it was yeah. very military-like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she would have this calendar that she put on the fridge and every detail of every single day was written on this calendar. And if it was not on the calendar, it did not happen. So if I the last minute got invited to some girl's birthday party she would go well it's not on the calendar so we lived by this calendar anyway it had gotten to the point where I was seeing a psychiatrist who was just awful she uh put me on medicines I would go from one medicine to another and she put me on a medicine that wasn't even approved for teens <laughs> that I see commercials for now because I have permanent side effects from. So you see the, the legal, the legal commercials from the yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, permanent involuntary muscle movement. So I'll, I can stand there and just talk to you and not even realize it. But you know, when someone cuts you off on the road, you kind of do that hand motion. Like what is this a hole doing? Yeah. My hand will just do that and then flop back. And people like have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. And just, like, what do you do with your hands? Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm meaning to offend, mm -hmm. but it just does that. Or when I'm writing and really focusing or trying to count something really small, my eyes will roll back in my head for a second. Mm. And I got to start back over. It makes me look really stupid. How heavy did you get and how light did you get during this time? Okay, um... My heaviest, I'm 5'9", so I'm fairly tall, but my heaviest was, I was 190 pounds and a size 22 jeans. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was in eighth grade. And then the lightest I got was by my um, sophomore year of high school was 150. Now I'm at the lightest I've ever been and I'm 128. Is that like your normal, regular kind of weight? Is that considered healthy? Uh, I'm kind of close to being underweight, but I'm still within my BMI. Okay. I know BMIs are sort of flaky numbers that don't yeah. mean that much, but I, I just didn't know. Um, I know what my BMI is, and my BMI says that I'm overweight, and I'm a pretty slender guy, so I would never understood it. <laughs> yeah, we have guys that I work with who are bodybuilders who are clinically obese. So it's just a dumb thing. Yeah. yeah. But I was hospitalized at a psychiatric unit for about two weeks, which was in St. Louis. I was the only white girl there. Mm -hmm. I was also the only girl there that was there for depression and an eating disorder. Everyone else was there because they either got thrown in there by the system, which is really sad, yeah. or they had anger or drug addiction. So, so you were the oddball in this. Yes. Group. They told my mom, they assured her that I was going to get to speak to a nutritionist and everybody was going to help me. I didn't see anybody. And so when I got let out, 
I just was like, I'm not binging and purging anymore because that place was crazy. It was just a scary ass play. So yeah, they were beating each other up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, scared straight. There were girls fighting in the hallway, and I, I just wanted to stay in my room. It was terrifying. The side effects from some of the medication I was on made me gain a lot of weight. So I was almost right back to where I had started. I, I fell back in that hole pretty quickly and started binging and purging again. And it was an on and off thing for quite a while. Uh, my junior year of high school, I stopped. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I already had a scar on my hand from on my knuckle from where my teeth were cutting it. And that was always really embarrassing because people would ask me, like, what happened to your hand? And it's just this big red scar from my teeth. So it was just the constant motion of your finger going down your throat and your your front teeth scraping the top of your hand? Yeah, it was more like my canines. And at that point, I had gone from using one finger to where I had to use three. Because you couldn't get the gag reflex to go. Right. Oh, wow. And I just, I was sick and tired of my mom just constantly screaming at me. I just wanted her to leave me alone. So my dad had basically started a new life with his family and faded me out of his life. That was really hard because I was a daddy's girl. And I had now on top of everything abandonment issues. Uh, There wasn't a male figure that I felt safe around or I could connect to. So whenever I would have boyfriends and we'd break up, I was I was a basket case. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I bet. I mean, that's sadly I I have family members that have serious abandonment issues and I see them going through their dating now and it's devastating to them every time they go through a breakup to the point where I'm like, hey, you only dated the guy for a couple of weeks. Like, why are you freaking out? And now yeah. you know, it's 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 very understandable. My mother, of course, no sympathy. Absolutely. She, if I cried about it, she would get mad and she'd start slamming doors. But I had this one guy who I was going steady with for quite a while. And it was the day before prom. We had been going out for a couple months. And he called me that night and he goes, look, I don't really want to go to prom with you. And I don't think we should see each other anymore. So I was kind of left out to dry. I had to go to prom by myself and I had stopped binging and purging. So I I was pretty heavy. I think I was a size 18 at that point. And we ended up kind of talking and trying to fix things at prom. And he's like, Oh, you know what? I'll drive you home. So I said, okay, maybe we can rebuild this relationship. And before he dropped me off and let me out of the car, he goes, you know, I think we can get this back together and be together again but you have to join a gym. So he and, thinks this is trying to help you, but it's coming off horribly. Yeah. And I got out of the car and I just went in the shower and just cried because it was right back to being told that I was disgusting in the sixth grade locker room. And I felt hopeless. I couldn't diet because my family wasn't going to help me. And exercise wasn't really working as fast or as good as I wanted. Basically, from that point on, I just stuck with it. And I moved out not too long after. And when I was on my own, 
I realized I could do this as much as I wanted and there was nothing nobody could do about it. Mm. I could go to McDonald's and then hit up Dairy Queen and come in and eat, eat, eat and purge and just not have to worry about being caught. So I was doing binging and purging at least every day. And on my days I didn't have to work, it was twice a day. The, the binge part was, it sounds like you're going to multiple fast food restaurants. It's, it just sounds like a, I can't imagine. I, I just, I eat so little. I'm like, oh my God, like I can't imagine going to all these <laughs> different places. Sorry. I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And it's, you know. Well, um, if it helps, I wrote down one of the last um, binge meals that I had and I can read it off to you. And it's disgustingly amazing how much I can eat. Okay. Okay. So I went to uh, McDonald's in the morning and I got a big breakfast with hotcakes, two egg McMuffins, a bacon, egg and cheese McGriddle, a caramel frappe. Then I came home and I had two bowls of cinnamon toast crunch two cups of ramen, four scrambled eggs, and uh, two cups of vanilla pudding. And then I would purge. So that, of was, course, that was just huh? in the morning. That was just in the morning. And of course, it was all washed down with some 2% milk. Yeah. I, uh, I don't even know if I would eat that over the course of an entire weekend. Yeah. I don't want to laugh about it, but it's the only way you can stop yourself from crying because you would just you eat to the point where you can't stand up straight Mm -hmm. because if you do you're just gonna puke and there's always this thought in your mind because you hear sometimes about these supermodels who do this and their stomach rips I don't know if it's a a rumor or not or but I I had heard a story about it and so it was kind of something I was thought about or you can asphyxiate on your vomit and just Mm -hmm. choke and, 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 and I'm sure you're inducing horrible acid reflux and all kinds of different things in your yes. esophagus. Yes. And um, on top of all these horrible things you're doing to your body, you're destroying relationships with your friends. Because the ones who do know about it and care hate the fact that you do it. You have to hide it from your boyfriends because nobody wants to be with the bulimic chick. So I have uh, ulcerative colitis. And I would just, after a meal, be like, oh, I don't feel good. I got to go to the bathroom because my UC is acting up. They just always bought it. When you read that list now, does it sound ridiculous to you? Yeah, it's it's disgusting and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very shameful because as a girl, you're supposed to eat like a delicate little bird. And I'm eating more than a grown man. Mm-hmm. Eating, I mean, not even just bulimia, but just binge eating in general. Uh, I I see it all the time with with my family and and some friends. Um, you know, we're hardwired to eat. I mean, that's how we survive. And mm-hmm. in today's world of you know high sodium, high fat, high sugar content, it's it's an addiction. It, it can absolutely just turn into an addiction as opposed to a means of survival. And I wouldn't even try to understand how to stop that. So I'm glad that you were able to, I'm assuming get counseling and get help for this. Well, it becomes such a part of your life. It's a habit. It's just like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to binge and purge and then relax for the rest of the night. Mm. 
you start to get anxiety when people are like, hey, can you stop by here and do this with me before you go home? It's like, uh, no, no, I got to go home and I got to binge and purge. You know, it's I haven't eaten all day. I want to go home and eat. Mm-hmm. It just it takes such a such control of your life. Not to mention it takes like an hour, an hour and a half to do all this. But um, I met my now husband he moved down here from Illinois mm-hmm. and he didn't know about this binging and purging. He knew that I had a lot of issues with depression and anxiety and my background with my mom and all that. So everything that I went through, he was always really supporting and patient, but eventually he did figure out what I was doing. And he was like, look, I hate that you're doing this. I don't like it. But I can't stop you. If you want help, I will help you no matter what. But he knew pushing me to stop was going to push me away. Yeah. And so I would I would go to him crying like, I don't I don't like this. I just want to be thin. I don't want to have to do this anymore. I just want to be pretty because in our society, it teaches you that it doesn't matter if you're a bad person. If you're beautiful, you're you have a great life. Yeah. And that's horrible. Like the worst thing you can be is unattractive in our society. I think there was some survey that they sent out to men and women and they said, would you prefer to be smart or pretty? And of course women chose pretty and the men chose smart because (laughs) in our construct of society, uh, men are, men don't have to be good looking. You know, if they have money and if they're smart or whatever, it doesn't matter Meanwhile, women, it absolutely matters. And it's it's a sad state of affairs. But that survey I saw was very telling to what you just said. It doesn't say that it's the worst thing you can be or the people that you put down because of their flaws. And I just wish girls knew that. And boys, because boys suffer from this, too. Yeah. I The guilt was starting to pile on, but we got engaged and... That's when it was like, okay, this is when crap hits the fan because when you are planning a wedding, the pressure on you as a bride to be as beautiful as possible hits you like a ton of bricks. And I was like, I have to lose as much weight as I can so I can be beautiful on my honeymoon and look great in a swimsuit and look great in that dress. Mm-hmm. I hate that dress. Yeah. <laughs> My body had gotten so used to running on this low amount of food that I was binging and purging just to keep my weight the same. So I tried exercising in a weird way that made me gain weight. And so that wasn't going to work. That that stopped fast. And so I went from eating a small meal in the morning, maybe two egg whites, and then nothing for the rest of the day until dinner. Then I would binge purge and afterwards I would have a small snack and that's what it usually was. So I got down to the point where I cut out the meals in the morning and there was absolutely no snacking whatsoever until I got that small snack before bed. And that made it to where I wasn't going to the bathroom except for like once a week. And so I had to go 
go to laxatives to make myself go to the bathroom. And then once I realized these will make me lose weight, that became something I started to abuse. So that was another form of purging at that point. Yes. Yes. And um, that quickly led me to using diuretics or water pills. So I would wake up in the morning and I would take my four laxatives, my three water pills and a vitamin and then come home at night, binge and purge and take another four laxatives and three water pills because I just had to get down to this fantasy weight that I told myself that once I reached 145 pounds, I would be happy. Mm-hmm. And once I did, I wasn't happy because now it was, I have to maintain 145 pounds. So I need to get down to 140 so I can gain five pounds. Mm-hmm. And it just kept going down and down and down. I was also on top of not eating anything, watching my water intake. I sipped as little bit of water as I could. And I chewed a lot of gum to keep my mouth moist. One night I woke up in the middle of the night and, uh, my hands and my toes had curled up and they basically became claws because I was so dehydrated. It was, I I don't know what it's called, but you know, when you kind of like your foot cramps up and your toes kind of curl and you got to stretch them out. It's like a Charlie horse, but in your, yeah, I had that in my hands and my feet, but it wouldn't go away. And it was extremely painful. And I woke up, it was like two in the morning and I was screaming and freaking out. And my husband was like, oh, okay, you're dehydrated. Drink this pickle juice at two in the morning. And (laughs) he had to literally pry my fingers back one by one. And we had to put cups in my hands just to keep them from curling up. And I had to put my toes against the wall and push my toes or they would curl up. And it still wasn't enough of a wake-up call for me to stop. So I just, I kept with that schedule until New Year's of this year where we were at a New Year's party and I had started my period. And I remember because it's like, this sucks. It's New Year's and I'm in this beautiful dress and I have to worry about this, but it only lasted for maybe a couple of hours, which was nowhere near normal. And so I was like, okay, well, hopefully I'm not pregnant. So I took pregnancy tests and everything was fine. But come the next month, there was still, I wasn't menstruating anymore. How did you induce that? What do you mean? Was it from the dehydration? Was that why you weren't menstruating anymore or... Uh, no, it was because I was so malnourished oh. that my body couldn't couldn't have a period. It didn't have the energy to do that. It couldn't expel any nutrients whatsoever. Right. That's That was when I really got scared. It was just like, okay, I, I got to figure something out because I want to have kids. You know, I'm 25 and I've just completely destroyed my body with the cutting, I have, you know, scars on my legs, my arms, and the bulimia and the anorexia. Now it's it's showing in a way that it's like these things could really mess me up and destroy my future. And that's when I was like, okay, well, 
I guess I need help. <laughs> and I didn't go to a therapist or anything. I stopped really trusting psychiatrists. I wasn't on medicine, but I really focused inward and on religion. And I just prayed and I did a lot of meditating mm -hmm. just to try to sit. And like, I would go through these thoughts and emotions and like, I wouldn't let the scale dictate how my day was going to be anymore. There's mm -hmm. a lot of reflection there and understanding why. Right. And when you suffer from an eating disorder, it comes with a whole bunch of other crap that goes along with it. It's like a terrible uh, Christmas present that has all these little knickknacks with it. And so it came with body dysmorphia and anxiety and depression and low self-esteem. People would come up and tell me like, oh, you are so thin. And I would just look at them and be like, they're lying because they want me to start eating so I can gain weight and look terrible. Like It was nonsense. Mm -hmm. They would tell me I was thin and I'd look in the mirror and be like, no, I'm still the same fat sack crap I've always been. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't that I saw myself as this blob like people think body dysmorphia is. It was like looking at shattered mirror fragments and the things that you had the slightest dislike of were just magnified and so I would just I would look in the mirror and I wouldn't even see my own face the first thing I would look at was my legs and I would just focus and zone in and be like what what is wrong with you but it got to the point where I had to look in the mirror and when I thought that it was you know this is who you are and this is the body you're given and you're an individual you're not going to be the same as anyone else. And so if you have a flaw, that's okay. And I just had to keep telling myself that. And uh, How long huh? did this take for you to stop the habit? It's still something I struggle with. Every once in a while I have a relapse. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually when I'm really stressed out or go through something really traumatic that it's just like, I just want to eat. And then when you eat, you get this, it's a sense of panic, like, oh no, I'm going to gain all that weight again. And sometimes you can talk yourself out of it. And sometimes you just have a moment of weakness. Mm -hmm. So when did you mm -hmm. start that process? Like when were you, when did you decide and how long ago was that? Uh, it was this year. It was probably after I would say maybe June ish once I had stopped menstruating for that many months because I kept making excuses but I knew deep down it was because of how I was treating my body is your husband helping you with this is he is he able to do things for you that oh absolutely he's been phenomenal like so patient and so kind I I've never had someone who I can just go up and be like, I'm having a panic attack or I, I'm nervous or I feel really ugly or fat. And he just every time will be like, well, you're beautiful. And then I'll be like, well, you told me that when I was fat. And he goes, well, you were beautiful then and you were never fat to me. Yeah. And I never got that growing up. How many siblings did you have? 
I had one half sister from my mom and my stepdad, mm-hmm. a half brother from my stepmom and my dad, and a stepsister from my stepmom. And you lived with all three of them and your mother? No, I lived with my half sister and my stepdad. And then my uh, half brother and stepsister lived with my dad and his wife. Were your siblings accepting of you or did you guys have rivalries? Did you not get along? Um, Me and my half sister growing up, my mom's daughter, there was a lot of rivalry because she was the perfect child. And she was my stepdad's daughter. So she got slightly better treatment than me. And um, I was constantly being compared to her. Because like I said, I was an introvert. And I wanted to run away to Yu Yu Hakusho land. And my sister was smart. And she did sports and all that stuff. So we were complete opposites. I just didn't know if they added to the stress or if it, most of it was all coming from your mother. Um, my my siblings were bullies to me, so mm. it, was, uh, it wasn't until after much later that we kind of grew up and stopped hating each other. So, and I got to say, if anybody is a survivor, it's you. I've heard your stories on the Gen Y podcast, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this guy. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't even think I, I just think I have a normal life. I don't think yeah. I, I've had any harder of a life than you or anyone else. And, um, you know, and we're not here to have a, uh, a pity party contest or anything. And I, I don't know. I just I feel very average as far as my life goes. I feel everyone has uh, challenges in their life. Um, I just happen to be exposed to a lot of different things such as drug addiction, mental illness, and those things. Um, so I can relate to a lot more people, I guess. I, I guess it's a good thing. I feel I understand when people talk about these these troubles. Uh, and it really saddens me when I'm on the Internet and I read comments, you know, not even towards me or anybody, but just, you know, totally unsympathetic things that people say to each other online. And I think, you know, that guy has... A, a drug addiction and you're saying they throw them all in jail. It's like, well, that doesn't help the situation. <laughs> so I don't, right. I it, don't think people have a grasp on, on that. It, it is amazing how I bet that girl who said that to me in that locker room never thought of that again, No, but it, it, it's with me forever. Yeah. It meant nothing to her and she probably is a good person today and isn't, you know, shitty to others. And maybe she, you know, feeds the homeless and rescues dogs. We don't know. But at that moment, that day, she said something that was horrifying. Yeah. You never know what's going to cut people so deep. It's you just, we need to be nice and kind Mm. because everybody has a cross to bear and a battle they're going through. Yeah. Do you now feel, I mean, you know, I asked you how much, you know, you weigh now and you, you said you're at a healthy weight uh, and you didn't get here with binging and purging. So uh, do you understand now that just regular eating is, is okay and, and um, you can fluctuate in weight? I mean, is that something you're comprehending is, is more healthy or is it still a struggle for you? I think it is something I understand that 
you can gain five pounds in a day and just be water weight. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it does bring that sense of fear. It creeps back up of like, hey, remember when you gained five pounds one day and then it just started to pile on? And you got to be like, no, shh, go away. Go yeah. away. It, it's fine. This is normal. I want to be able to eat healthy and not have a child that sees me do these things. So I need to make it part of my life now. Everything you just told me was, it was almost like the textbook definition of the eating disorder. I I just done some very little reading on it um, just because I, I had a pretty good grasp of it, but I didn't quite understand that there were more than one way to purge. And I didn't realize that enemas or water pills or other things were another version of purging. And Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that, but you covered it very well. I was, I was like, wow, I, you're in that much touch with your own body to understand. And it's just weird that you would know all this, but then that, other side that uh oh what's the word the the denial of the the health detrimental health effects that you you the denial of those yet you understand you know oh well i can do this to lose weight i can do this to get water weight off if i take in this many calories i gotta purge or i have to exercise it's it's such a compartmentalized way of thinking um it's it's hard for most people to grasp that you would understand this much to this level of what you can do with your body, but not want to accept that it's really hurting you or you, you know, it hurts you, but you're willing to accept those, those health risks and, and damages to your body. It's kind of like an addict. You'll do anything to get to your end result and you'll find a way. You you can, (sighs) you can read the surgeon general's warning all day long, but it doesn't matter because you're willing to, do it regardless. Um, I never really thought about it being in the way that you were saying. It was like, I felt better because I purged and it wasn't just purging up food because you felt guilty. It was purging up emotion. It was purging up, uh, your hatred, your, your anxiety. It was everything. It was giving you a release from, and I never thought of it that way. you you have an incredible story. You really do. <laughs> Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, well kind of thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, you went through a lot and, and for you to be sitting here talking to me now is, is incredible. And to be able to talk about it in as much detail, I, uh, so I'm always amazed by anyone that comes on to talk to me about these things. Cause none of them are, uh, good stories in the way of something good happened. It's good that you've overcome it. It's good that you've found the strength and for you to just meditate and go inward and be able to analyze yourself. That's incredible. And I I think that people should seek out counseling and and help and support, but sometimes you know what's best for you. Oh yeah, definitely. If you need a therapist or a counselor, that absolutely should be your route. Mm-hmm. But at that point, my distrust... It wasn't best for you. It wasn't right. going to work. You might have even had some good therapists growing up, but it, you weren't allowed to get the the good out of it, the assistance out of it, because you would be torn away from them or whatever. Thank you so much. That was 
incredible and enlightening because I everyone has a general idea about eating disorders but if you've never been around that in your life you everything you know is just what you've seen on TV and those after school specials like the one you watched that was such a bad influence on you yeah <laughs> so probably one of the most moving stories I've heard so far Oh my gosh, thank you. I was so worried. I was like, he's probably going to find this just really boring. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and weirdly enough, I I, uh, I do have some reluctance on, on some of the episodes where I think, how are people going to take this? You know, what, what are people going to say? Are they going to be nice about it? Are they going to be shitty about it? Are they going to uh, think it's boring? Um yeah, the nitty-gritty rawness of mm-hmm. life. Yeah. It's, it kind of goes with what you say. You know, everyone has to be pretty. The story doesn't have to be pretty. That's, I guess, why I podcast, because it's the alternative media that you don't have to appeal to ratings and all that shit. <laughs> right. Well, thank you again, and um, I'll let you get back to your night. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me and hearing my story. A special thanks to both Christelle and Lauren for coming on. Your stories impacted me and still do as I listen to this. I wish you both the best and I know that you're both strong enough to overcome this disorder. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.